Hello, and welcome back to the Braxton Ranch Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Gidding. Last week on Campfire Stories, we listened to Chapter 1 of The Kings of Braxton Born Under Trouble. This week, we're moving on to Chapter 2. So let's go get that campfire started, and we'll nestle in for a good story. The Kings of Braxton Born Unto Trouble Chapter 2 Laid to Rest 1. Neil woke to the sight of his little brother still standing at the window. Sam had opened it and the morning breeze brushed against the curtains gently. You been there all night? Neil asked as he rubbed the sleep from his eyes. Sam said nothing. He simply stared at the spot where his uncle's wagon had been parked for most of the night. Uncle Al took Mommy and Daddy away, Sam eventually muttered. Where to? Neil climbed out of bed and walked over to the window. The sun was rising on the back side of the house, keeping the front shaded as Neil stared out the window with his brother. I'm hungry, Neil said. Then he turned and left the room. Sam didn't move, like he was stuck in a moment and couldn't continue. He couldn't get the vision of his father's death out of his head. It was playing on a loop. Every time he tried to go to sleep, he would see his father's neck being ripped apart by the first bullet and his chest opening up with the second. Sam fought to keep his eyes open all night, just to avoid the sight. Neil sat at the kitchen table with an empty plate in front of him. On any normal day, the house would be filled with farmhands sitting around the table laughing and enjoying each other's company as they went over the day's work with Jeffrey. This day, however, was different. This day, the house was empty and still. The sound of laughter was missing, and the smell of a freshly cooked meal was vacant from the kitchen, replaced instead by the strong aroma of stale blood. Al had spent most of the night scrubbing the blood from the wooden floor, but the smell remained. It was thick enough for Neil to taste it in the air as he sat waiting for breakfast. The back door opened slowly, and heavy boots fell on the floor in a rhythmic pattern as Al walked in covered in dust and smelling of sweat and dirt. Morning, Neil, Al said. I'm hungry, Neil said, looking sad and pathetic. Al had forgotten to make breakfast for the boys. He was not used to having to take care of anyone but himself. I'll get you some. Where's your brother? Upstairs. Al walked over to the stove and began to heat a pan that he had filled with grease. Sam stood at the top of the stairs, grasping his father's fedora in his small hands. The smell of grease and eggs began to travel to him as they walked down the narrow stairway slowly and carefully, trying not to let the wood creak. He wanted to act like nothing happened and thought it might help him forget about his father being killed in front of him and his mother taking her own life. He was scared, but... He tried to hide it as he walked over to the table with his head held high 
and took a seat next to Neil. He placed the fedora carefully on the table next to him. You boys eat your breakfast. I got work to do outside, Al said as he placed a plate in front of each boy. As he left, Neil and Sam stared at their food, unsure whether or not they should dig in. After a few minutes of silence, Sam got up, grabbed the fedora, and walked to the back door, which was left open to allow the breeze to flow through the house. Near the edge of the woods, about fifty yards away, was a family graveyard that was the resting place of past generations. Each headstone was hand-carved from the finest granite available. Al was standing at the edge of the graveyard with two farmhands, Jim Evans, a tall, strong man who always wore dirty overalls and smelt of pipe tobacco, and Hiram Johnson, an older man who worked harder than most men half his age. Jim and Hiram were digging two graves near the edge of the woods while Al was taking a break in the shade, petting Bob, Sam's golden retriever pup. Across the lane from the house was one of two barns. This one wrapped around the side of three large brick silos that towered over the barns. The long side of the L-shaped barn, which pointed away from the house, was used as shelter for the cattle and to store the winter hay. The shorter side, which sat alongside the lane, was for storing and maintaining farm equipment. Between the cattle barn and the farmhouse, at the point where the dirt road came to an end, was a smaller barn that housed the woodshop. Behind that barn was a horse stable, where the king's horses were treated almost as well as family. Neil walked up behind Sam as he turned to look over at the woodshop. Hal had taken the bodies there earlier in the morning. There was a racket coming from the small barn that caught their attention. After a quick glance towards Al to make sure he wasn't looking, the brothers walked over to the shop. The sun's morning rays shot through the spaces between the boards of the aging siding, illuminating dust particles as they floated through the barn. The smell of fresh-cut pine filled the shop and poured out through the large sliding door. Three men were hard at work inside as a fourth man took a break. Jackson Hartford Sr. was drinking a cool glass of water standing near the wagon that held the bodies. Jackson, a descendant of one of the founding families, owned the general store in town and had been friends with Jeffrey and Al for many years. Jackson had a son, Junior, who Sam and Neil frequently played with while their parents talked business or played cards around a small table that was often set up outside the cattle barn. The card games would go on for hours while the men drank and smoked. Money was never wagered. They were games of fun and camaraderie, and while the games went on, Neil, Sam, and Junior would chase lightning bugs and any other number of critters in the woods. Steve Wright, a longtime friend of Jackson and Jeffrey's, who helped run the store, was also there as was Paul, a farmhand, who had worked on the farm since Jeffrey's father ran it. Finally, there was another farmhand, 
Oscar Schaefer, who was great with woodworking. He crafted wonderful furniture for almost everyone in Braxton. Oscar was putting the finishing touches on a coffin as Paul and Steve were starting on the second. Sam and Neil stood near the large sliding door and watched as Oscar carved a delicate design on the top of the coffin. The kings have always been loved and respected by everyone in and around Braxton, and Oscar wanted them to rest for eternity in more than just a normal pine box. He wanted them to rest in works of art. As Sam watched the work that was going on, Neil looked around the shop and noticed that the wagon Jackson was standing near held the bodies of his parents. The tarp covered everything but his mother's arm, which was hanging out over the edge of the wagon, revealing the self-inflicted wound on her wrist. Her skin was much paler than he remembered, and noticing this sent shivers down his back. You two are supposed to be eating your breakfast, Al said in a stern tone that startled the two boys. They turned around and looked up at Al sadly, and the four men in the shop turned toward the commotion. Then Al looked behind the men, seeing his sister's arm exposed, and looked back at the boys. He knelt down in front of them. You boys don't need to see this sort of thing, he said in his raspy voice. It's pretty, Sam said, pointing to the coffin Oscar was slaving over. Before Al had a chance to respond to Sam, Neil asked in a loud and sharp voice, You fought in a war, didn't you, Uncle Al? I did. Why do you ask? You gonna kill that bitch? Sam asked before Neil could respond. Al looked at the boys for a moment as they just looked back, waiting for an answer. Al knew he was going to get revenge, but he didn't know if he should tell the boys. Is that what you boys want? Do you want revenge? Sam looked to the ground, somewhat embarrassed about his desire. Neil just looked Al in the eye, unflinching and determined. A wise man once said, Al began, Before you embark on a journey of revenge, dig two graves. Al grabbed the fedora from Sam and stood up. Sam stared at the hat, waiting for its return. Was that wise man you, Uncle? Neil asked. No, Neil. A much wiser man than me. It's something your granddad used to say to your father and your uncles, Samuel and Elias. Al looked down at the boys and then into the barn where the men had returned their attention to the coffins. Revenge is a messy business, and no matter what, you will always have to get your hands dirty. Al placed the fedora on Sam's head, and when it slid down over his eyes, he lifted it enough to see Al walking away from him. Back to the house, boys. Finish your breakfast, Al yelled back as he returned to the graveyard. The brothers looked at one another, and then turned back to the barn. Does that mean he's going to do it? Sam asked as he struggled to keep the fedora from covering his eyes. 
come on, Sammy. Let's do as Uncle Al says. Two. Later that day, as the sun loomed high in the cloud-free sky, the brothers stood near the open graves of their parents, with Bob panting nearby. The coffins were nestled in their final resting spot, six feet down. Sam and Neil were in their finest suits and shiny shoes, and Sam wore his father's fedora. They couldn't help but feel useless as they stood above their parents. This was not how the boys had planned to spend their Saturday afternoon. They wanted to go into town with their father like they did on most Saturdays, where they would meet up with Junior and maybe even Frankie Beerman, who lived in the poor part of town. While his father spent the day in one of many bars in town, Frankie would often join the boys as they ran through the streets, laughing and chasing squirrels. The back door slammed shut behind Al as he walked toward the graveyard. The boys just stared at him. He was wearing a gray suit that he was visibly uncomfortable in. It wasn't particularly fancy, but it was the best he had. A large group of farmhands walked over to the graveyard, all wearing dirty old coveralls and mud-encrusted boots. They didn't have nice suits to wear, but they wanted to pay their respects to the man who employed them and treated them more like family than workers. Al walked over to the boys and looked down toward the graves. In the distance, the growing sound of horse-drawn wagons could be heard, making their way along King's Lane. Sam tried not to pay attention to those noises. He knew it meant that soon there would be lots of people staring at him, telling him how sorry they are for his loss and offering to help with anything that they might need. Daddy, Sam said to himself, watch Mommy. I think she's scared. And help me be like you. I miss you. As Sam spoke to his father, Al saw his lips moving and shed a tear for his young nephew, but tried to hold his emotions at bay. Neil watched as the town folk began to arrive. First was Jim Grates, the pastor from the church the family attended from time to time. He held a Bible close to his chest as he walked up and stopped between the two graves. Sam stopped talking to his father and looked up at the pastor. Is mommy in hell? he asked quietly. That's up to God, son, Jim said smoothly. Sam put his head down and the two brothers silently wept. Al stood near the boys ready to greet the guest as they arrived. Jackson and his wife, Millie, walked over to the graves, followed by Junior, who avoided eye contact with the brothers, not knowing how to react to the situation. Jackson Sr. wore a dusty gray suit with a crooked black tie. His wife, Millie, wore a long black dress with ruffles around the neck and cuffs, and Junior was visibly uncomfortable in his black suit and shiny black shoes as they stood on the far side of the brothers. Following Jackson was his brother, Robert, who lived on a small farm on the other side of town. Beside him was his wife, Mary, 
and their young daughter Carol followed closely behind them. As Robert and Mary gave their condolences to Al, Carol walked over to Neil and gave him a hug. Carol was a short, blonde-haired girl who was usually more of a tomboy, but was wearing a simple black dress that day. I'm sorry, Neil, she said as she hugged him. Carol was a familiar fixture around the farm. Her parents were sharecroppers, often away for days and even weeks at a time, and they would leave Carol with the kings while they were gone. She and Neil were very close. It was assumed that one day they would be married. Carol looked over at Sam, who was staring blankly into the graves. Hi, Sam. I'm sorry. Sam paid no attention to young Carol, or to anyone, for that matter. He was like a statue guarding the graves. Jake Burns walked up to Al and shook his hand. Jake was a rugged-looking man in his late twenties, with acne scars covering his face. He was running for mayor and knew that he needed to be seen at the funeral. His wife, Emily, who was a bit younger than her husband, had been Miss Braxton four times in a row many years ago. Next to arrive was Hans Biermann and his son Frankie. Hans had been drinking heavily all morning, like he normally did, and Frankie seemed more interested in running off to play in the woods. Hans came from a well-respected family, but once his parents died, he began drinking away all the family money. When his wife seemed to just disappear, he told people she had left him. But most knew she wouldn't just leave her son with a drunk. Rumor had it, he killed her and buried her body in the middle of the woods behind their house. Jackson leaned into Jake. What's Hans doing here? he asked quietly. Jake looked over at Hans, who could barely stand. The hell if I know. The man's a disgrace and should be locked up. Frankie ran up to Sam and Neil with excitement. You want to go play in the woods? Catch squirrels? He asked, not understanding the situation. Al placed his hand on Frankie's shoulder and knelt down. This is not a time for play. It's a time... Frankie ran off into the woods before Al could finish. As the mourners showed up, Sam continued to stare silently and Neil stood quietly with Carol holding tightly to his hand. Sam looked up and noticed all the people who were standing not far from him. He felt like a pig being judged at the county fair. He was uncomfortable and wanted to run away to his special spot, but he knew he had to stay to say goodbye to his parents. Nobody in attendance wanted to talk about Jane's suicide, so they focused on Jeffrey's murder and the future of them poor boys. The only person missing from the funeral was Uncle Elias from Montana. He was the oldest of the three brothers. He had just lost his wife and had three children to look after. Sam and Neil had never met their Uncle Elias, but he was spoken of often by their father and Al. Pastor Grates cleared his throat to get the attention of those in attendance. Brothers and sisters, we are together here 
at the residence of Jeffrey and Jane King to lay them to rest in their final home on earth. He paused and looked at the brothers. By mercy and truth, inequity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. He spoke with a slow cadence as Sam and Neil grieved silently. Al stood behind them, holding back his own sorrow and pain. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him, the pastor continued. Sam was at peace with the words spoken by the pastor. He figured that his father's ways would, no doubt, please the Lord. 3. The service was short and to the point, but very moving. As the pastor ended and closed his Bible, Sam removed the fedora and covered his face with it to hide the tears. His quiet weeping and covered face brought tears of their own to everyone in attendance. Pastor Greats turned to Jim and Hiram, nodding, and they each grabbed a nearby shovel and stood ready to fill the graves. The mourners took their turns approaching the gravesides and giving their respects as the boys watched. Spencer Douglas and his wife Nina, holding their newborn daughter Elizabeth, approached and Spencer tossed the rose in each of the graves before the couple walked over to Al. Hope it's okay we came here, Spencer said. Al grabbed Spencer's hand and shook it firmly. Of course. Thank you for coming. Spencer and Nina had recently moved to Braxton after having some trouble in their hometown. Jeffrey was instrumental in getting them set up in town and taking care of their problem. Jane acted as a midwife for Nina, and Jeffrey helped Spencer get a job at the Braxton Savings and Loan until he was able to buy some farmland. Nina leaned in and, standing on her tippy toes, gave Al a gentle kiss on the cheek. We wouldn't be anywhere without the help of the kings. They saved us from our past and gave us a future for our daughter here in Braxton, she said tearfully. If you need anything, anything at all, Alfred, please call on us, Spencer said. For anything, Nina added. Al shook Spencer's hand again. Thank you, Spencer. Nina. You just take care of your little one and yourselves. Al watched the young couple walk away, and as he did, he noticed Jacob Lemoore riding up to the stables in his wagon. Jacob was a strong man in his twenties who had served with Al and Samuel in the Indian Wars. After he was nearly killed fighting in a war he no longer believed in, he came to Braxton looking for Al. Jeffrey gave him a job working on the farm and helping with other matters around town that needed a certain level of discretion. Jacob dragged a large potato sack into the stables, but it was clear it was not filled with potatoes. He came back out of the barn a few minutes later and walked over to the graves to pay his respect before turning to Al. Sorry I'm late, brother, Jacob said. You're here now, all that matters, Al said as he pulled Jacob close for an embrace. You able to do what I asked? 
he whispered in Jacob's ears. Just waiting for you. Al released his embrace and smiled in a devious way that only Jacob could understand. Robert and Mary had walked away, allowing Carol some time with Neil. Neil held tightly to Carol's hand as they watched the farmhands toss shovel after shovel full of dirt into the graves. Carol leaned over and gave Neil a kiss on the cheek before returning to her parents' side. Sam reached over and grabbed hold of Neil's hand, and the brothers shared a moment of silent grief while the farmhands finished their task. Al used this moment to sneak away to the barn. He had some work to do and didn't want the boys to see him leave. Carol walked past her parents and continued toward their wagon at the front of the house. Just then, there was a racket in the barn followed by a loud scream. I guess it's up to Al to keep us safe now, Robert said. Turning and looking back at the boys, he added, At least until they're ready. They'll grow up too fast. Poor boys, Millie conceded. Then they continued to their wagon, where Carol was waiting. Hiram placed a simple wooden cross at the head of each grave, and Jim pounded them into the earth with a shovel. And as the few remaining guests walked away, Neil and Sam continued their vigil over the graves. I miss them already, Sam said as he wiped tears from his face. Me too, Sammy. What will happen to us now? I don't know, Neil said, trying to be the stronger brother he knew he had to be. Another scream came from the barn. This time it caught the attention of the boys. Sam looked at Neil. Then both walked toward the barn. Quickly at first, then slower as they got closer. More screams came from inside as they were drawn closer. Four. Open it, Sammy, Neil said, not wanting to be the one to get caught opening it first. Sam adjusted the fedora as if it gave him more courage, before he slowly pulled back the door just enough to see in. He looked back at Neil, took a deep breath, and peeked inside. Al was standing over a man who was crouched on the ground, blood dripping from the man's face. Jacob stood next to Al, and Oscar watched from close by with Paul and Jackson. From where he was standing, Sam could only see the man's back and the pool of blood forming beneath him. Al motioned to Oscar, who handed him a shovel, which he swung, smacking the man in the face and knocking him to the ground. Blood flew from the end of the shovel as the man fell to the ground. The horses whinnied at the loud crash. Sam gasped and slid the door open all the way. Al turned and saw the boys in the doorway, particularly noticing the expression of fear and hatred on Sam's face. Neil looked at the man, then at the men standing over him. He didn't know what was going on, but he had seen this before. His father would use this part of the barn to hold criminals, and he often beat them in the same manner. 
The bloodied man on the ground took in a deep breath as he looked over to Sam. It was Martin Little. Sam tried to restrain himself as he felt the rage build inside him, but it was no use. He exploded, running over to Little and kicking him over and over again as hard as his little feet could bear. Oscar laughed at the sight, and Neil slowly walked into the barn, realizing who Sam was kicking. Al pulled Sam off of Little as Neil ran over to his uncle. There was a moment of silence as the boys stared at the man who was bleeding and helpless. Well, boys, Al said as he wiped sweat from his forehead. This is him, Uncle Al. This is the guy, Sam said excitedly as he looked the man in his eyes angrily. The boys looked around the barn, then back at Little, who was looking pathetic, contrary to how he'd looked the day before. You don't look like much now, Sam said, looking down at his father's killer. How does it feel knowing you're going to die? Little lunged toward Sam and made a sound like a rabid dog, but Sam jumped back. When Little laughed, Oscar kicked him in the back of the head, pushing his face into the dirt. You want revenge, right boys? Al began. This is what revenge looks like. Get a good look. Sam leaned in and punched the man in the face with all the might a five-year-old could muster. Neil didn't want his younger brother to have all the fun, so he ran up and kicked Little in the face. As Little tried to get up, he was punched back down by Oscar. Then, Al grabbed two revolvers from a nearby shelf and knelt down next to the boys. Here, he said, holding them out for the boys. They were Colt Model 1889 revolvers, with hand-carved walnut grips. Carved at the top of the grip on either side was the King Farms brand, a K, with a crown hovering above it. The once gleaming black steel had faded, and the grips were permanently scarred from use. Sam and Neil reached out and took the revolvers in their hands. Instantly, they felt a surge of energy. As if the revolvers had some sort of magical power that was transferred to their owners. Sam's heart began to beat fast, and Neil stood tall with pride. The revolvers felt like pure energy in the small hands of the King Brothers. The energy of every king who had come before them. As if their ancestors were with them at that moment, there to watch over and protect them. Now listen, boys. Sam turned around and fired the revolver. It took a finger from each hand to muster enough strength to pull the trigger. The bullet missed little, hitting the ground next to him, sending dirt flying through the air. The horses screamed and kicked inside their stalls, at the thunderous bang. The recoil was unexpected and the gun flew backward out of Sam's hand, landing on the ground behind him. A grin grew across Sam's face, even though he knew he had made a mistake. He had been able to feel the surge running from his hand through the revolver and into the bullet as it left the five-inch barrel. What the hell? 
This is stupid, Little yelled out. He was trembling in fear, and his face was wide and red. Al picked up the gun as Sam looked at him apologetically. Listen to me first, Al said angrily. You can't do this, Little yelled out. Shut it, Jacob scolded sharply and kicked Little in the side. Little screamed out in pain as he felt his ribs crack. Listen here, boys, Al began. If this is what you want, you need to realize that once you cross this line, there is no turning back. From this point on, you will have chosen your path. The path that your father and uncles chose. And their father before them, and all the kings before them, back to the beginning of the bloodline. And it's a path that you have to follow for the rest of your lives. It won't be easy, and it won't be fun. It's a lot of work, and you'll be hated by some, loved by others. But you'll never feel the gratitude you deserve. Sam reached out his hand for the gun. Al looked at Neil, who simply nodded his head in agreement. And Al gave the revolver back to Sam. Hold it tight. Aim it just like your hunting rifle. It kicks, as you just found out, so hold it tight. Neil and Sam walked over to Little. They stood over him and looked down on the man as the boys lifted their guns and took aim. No! This ain't right, Alfred. You have to stop this, the killer pleaded. Al looked heartlessly at the man as he begged for his life from the ground. Alfred! Little jumped to his knees and raised his hands over his face, as if that would stop a bullet, then looked at Al with fearful, watery eyes. The horses seemed to know what was coming, kicking their stalls and grunting in anticipation. Staring down the man who had killed their father, without further hesitation, the boys pulled their triggers. Sam's bullet found its way to the throat of the killer and Niels found his gut. The horses panicked and snorted as Martin Little plopped to the ground, and with a loud, gurgling sound struggled to breathe through the hole in his neck. The boys lowered their guns and watched as the men suffered. Jacob took a few steps back to keep the spraying blood from getting on his shoes, and the two farmhands leaned on either side of a nearby post. That was sloppy, boys, Al began. It's your first time, so I will let it go. But now you have to watch and wait, so you can see what your actions do. Al was cold in his tone, but he needed to be. Sam watched the blood flow from the gaping neck wound. It reminded him of the wound that the killer inflicted on his father, and he felt a sense of peace rush over him. He felt all the anger and rage flow from his body, like the blood flowing from the killer's neck. Neil was at peace as the life force left the killer. It was over, and he could now get on with life. Everyone in the barn stared at the man on the ground as he struggled to take one last breath. Al lit up a cigar and handed one to Jacob. Thanks for your help on this, Jacob. I owe you one. Or two, Al said as he lit the cigar for Jacob. 
for you, brother. Anything, anytime. He has men, Jackson said. They might come looking for a reckoning. Al looked down at the boys as he puffed on his cigar. You leave that up to me. If they come looking, I'll make sure they find me, Al said sternly. I'll clean this up, Jacob said as he motioned to the body on the ground. You take care of your boys. Al looked down at the boys. That was the first time Sam and Neil were referred to as his boys. And it was at that moment that he realized the gravity of that statement. He knew from that moment on he would be responsible for what they became as adults. It was at that very moment, as a man lay dead on the ground, that he knew he would spend the rest of his life teaching Sam and Neil how to be just and keep the criminal element at bay as the new century brought progress to Braxton. He would teach them to do as their father had done for many years, and his father before him and his father before him, all the way back to before the country was even born. Al turned to the boys who were still staring at the body. All right, then. Let's go, boys. He led the boys out of the barn. Five. They walked back into the bright sunlight and stopped at the back porch of the house. You both made your choice. You took the guns, and you delivered the justice that was required. Now... I will teach you everything I know. Al took a seat on the porch steps, and the boys sat on either side of him. They held tight to the revolvers that had been given to them. Your father was a great man, and my best friend. He delivered justice when needed, and took care of those who needed help. I don't know nearly as much as he knew, but I will teach you everything I learned in the war, during my time as an Indian captive, and everything I've learned since. Much of it I learned from your father. That's hunting, that's tracking, that's fighting, shooting. Knowing when to shoot and how to do it with a purpose. I will teach you how to spot troublemakers before they make trouble, and how to get information from somebody. The boys stared at their weapons and said nothing as they listened to their uncle. You have your revenge already, but I can teach you to use your pain for good, to help others. Are we the good guys? Sam asked, staring at his revolver. We are, and we will always be that way. The kings have been helping people since they first came to the New World. And you boys will continue that. I was honored to have helped your father for many years, and I will continue his task until you boys are ready to take your rightful place on the throne. This is the life I want. I want to help keep other people from losing their parents, Sam said calmly. Me too. Teach us to help, Uncle Al, Neil agreed. Those revolvers belong to your father. The grips were made to fit his hands, and he used them to deliver justice. 
Now they belong to you. For the same purpose, Al said. He stood and looked down at the brothers. We start in the morning. Then he walked into the house, and the brothers stayed in their spots on the steps. They watched Jacob and Oscar load a burlap sack into Jacob's wagon, and they knew the sack concealed the body of Martin Little. They watched as Jackson and Jim left the barn and returned to their wagons. Jackson glanced over at the boys as he walked away and gave them a slight grin. Are you ready for this, Sammy? We're only kids, Neil commented as he kept his gaze on the barn. We don't got a choice. You heard Uncle Al. It's in our blood. We gotta continue Daddy's work. Sam stood and placed the revolver in his waistband. He had a determined look on his face. It was as if he had grown up in a matter of minutes. Neil knew that Sam was ready. There was no doubt, but he was worried about himself. He stood, holding his revolver firmly. Then the brothers walked around to the front of the house and watched the last few wagons as they drove down King's Lane. Al stood in the doorway in front of the porch and watched the brothers in the shadow of the setting sun. I need your help more than ever before, Jeff. I will raise your boys in your image. I will love your boys like they were my own, sis. Al said quietly, almost like a prayer. Tears rolled down his cheeks as he tried to understand the responsibility that was before him. Okay, thank you so very much for joining me today. Don't forget to join me next week, where we will start with Chapter 3, Trouble. Ooh, kind of an interesting title, huh? What's gonna happen to the kings now? You'll find out next week. Just a friendly reminder, if you like what you're hearing, you can pop on over to Amazon.com where you can buy The Kings of Braxton, Born Under Trouble, on ebook and in paperback version. Thank you very much for stopping by.